Okay, we're rolling here. <laughs> we had gotten back from an incredible weekend up in the Catskills, and we had gone up for the Woodstock Film Festival in Woodstock, New York. It was the 17th annual, and I really enjoy that festival. I've been to that festival many times. Actually, one of my very first podcasts was 10 years ago with Myra Blaustein, who is co-founder and executive director. And she's also an amazing programmer. She finds a lot of these amazing films that we had seen. And just looking at the awards that we're giving out Saturday night, I am very impressed that I was able to choose the films that we went to see. Many of them won awards. You know, so I was really happy about that. One of the things that... I really love about Woodstock Film Festival is, is its tagline called Fiercely Independent. And I feel very much a maverick in many ways, as I think you do. I do. Okay. Uh, in any case, I just want to introduce myself. I'm Christina Kotlar. And I'm Yuri Turchin. And we do a, a blog and a, a podcast called Vinyl Rewind. So we do a lot of music-oriented things, and we go to film festivals as well and look for music and films. And then I always go for the documentary films or the ones that are made by women directors. Forty-four of the films were made by women. And then we find these, these narratives almost out of the blue that I would pick up and choose, and we were able to, to see many of them. But this year, the uh, festival was dedicated to Haskell Wexler, a two-time Academy Award-winning cinematographer, filmmaker, and activist. And interestingly enough, you got to see the film, yes, Rebel Citizen. Yes, I did. We split on that one because I went to see the panel telling your story, and you went to see Rebel Citizen. So tell me about that. I had an eye-opener. I never heard of Haskell, but the, the attendees of this film were people who knew him, who live in the area. The theater was full. His wife, his recent wife, his third wife, actually, was there to part of the Q&A at the end of the movie. He recently passed away about, okay, a year ago, maybe last 2015, I think, somewhere in December. The wounds for the widow are actually very, very, very fresh. And while she was answering the Q&A questions from the audience and from the moderator, at the end she teared up and, you know, it, it, you're married to a man of his caliber. He was a cinematographer, a director of photography for an incredible amount of films, such as Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, directed by Mike Nichols. He won the Oscar for that. 
he did uh, in the heat of the night. He started working on one, flew over to Cuckoo's Nest, but was fired because he was involved with a a person who was who's doing civil protests. Do you think his politics really infiltrated his work? Very interesting, because the first time hearing about him and then having this incredible eye-opener, what he did as he was speaking in this documentary, being interviewed, he mentioned that he wasn't so much objective because he want he always in his documentaries he would inject himself as Alfred Hitchcock would do cameos in his movie Haskell would get in on the interview with whom he's doing an interview and actually trying to convince that person on his point of view so did it work you know I can't tell because I haven't seen all the the um, documentaries that he did but they were they were incredible. For instance, Medium Cool, Occupy Los Angeles, In the Name of De Democracy, America's Conscious, a Soldier's con uh, con Sacrifice, Big Love, Who Needs Sleep, Bastards of the Soul, Bridge to Havana. He did so many documentaries, but they were all about some kind of social contract issues. And they, they were neither leftist nor conservative nor communist nor any. It's just his belief. He knew America. He knows America is great. But there are ills in it. And the democracy does not always work as it should. And he was trying to bring that out, that capitalism and democracy are not synonymous. That's and, interesting because it's so appropriate for what's happening time. In the news, what we read about all the time, uh, these days especially, and I think that is very a a very interesting aspect of this programming. I think that was going on. Do you think that the documentary really gave his character and his vision? You know, really, you know, brought it through throughout on the screen. For somebody who didn't know who he was, because as you said, there's people there, they knew him, they loved him, they worked there, Absolutely. and he was always around. He was always involved with the Woodstock Film Festival. He was right. always showing up, and he was always talking about cinematography and, right. and things. So, And again, his point of views. Right, but me being introduced, and of course, first time, eye-opener, my mouth was agape, I'm, I'm actually doing whoa. Um, I didn't know that kind of reaction. He went to Viet Vietnam, North Vietnam, with Jane Fonda. He filmed her doing the interviews in, you know, of the uh, North Vietnamese, which caused furor in America that she was actually supporting. But he was the cinematographer. He was the DP. I didn't know that. Nobody bothered him because nobody knew he was doing it. But he was there. He seemed to be everywhere. He he did colors one in nineteen eighty eight. Oh, that was a real with, political with, one. Yeah, yeah, with Duval and Sean Penn, probably Sean Penn's first movie. He did Coming Home with John Voight and Jane Fonda. I didn't know that. I he really did, liked that one. He did Bound for Glory, which is a uh, Woody Guthrie about Woody Guthrie's life. Thomas Crown Affair, the original one, and then. In 1965, we're kind of jumping around, I know that, because I'm, 
I'm just getting to learn about the man and, and his life. He did The Bus, which is a documentary on a civil rights movement during in 1965 when they were all going to Washington, D.C. to protest the segregation, the Jim Crow laws that were... So, and it was right before Lyndon Johnson signed the Civil Rights Act in 1965. So he's on the bus. I thought he signed it in 64. When I saw you coming up from the... Because I was at the panel about telling your stories, and I saw you coming up from that film, and you were just bursting, mm -hmm. wanting to tell, you know, talk about it. And that's what I think is so wonderful about a film festival and the films is after you see one, you want to be talking to somebody either sitting next to you as you're walking out, there's conversations mm -hmm. going on, and uh, we love doing that as well when we walk, whether we're together seeing a film or, or not. And I was a little bit jealous at first. Mm -hmm. As I said, I like to see the films that I don't get to see. Panels, sometimes I don't get enough out of the panels, you know, when I go see them. Uh, sometimes I don't think that the moderators are truly prepared. I mean, they have the big name attached to them or from who they work for, or some are radio announcers and some are uh, newscasters and some are journalists, but they're not necessarily moderators for a panel. So mm -hmm. that's always kind of my thing. I said, oh, you know, how is this going to run? But I was so pleasantly surprised because we had the telling your stories and on this panel was Roger Ross Williams, first African-American to win an Academy Award for a documentary short, Music by Prudence, in 2010. And his feature doc, God Loves Uganda, was shortlisted in 2014. He was talking about a lot of his work at that time and his recently life-animated won the 2016 Sundance Film Festival U.S. Documentary Directing Award. And then we had Ricky Stern, whose uh, producing and directing partner, Annie Sundberg, are Emmy-nominated. Uh, they got a Lifetime Achievement Award from Full Frame Documentary Film Festival. Their film, Marathon Patriots Day Bombings, was screening at Woodstock this weekend. And then there was Olya Onishko. People don't know how to pronounce her name, but... It's Ola Oneshko, and her feature documentary, Women of Maidan, made its world premiere at Woodstock. We got to see it on Friday. But when she started talking about it, it she truly fits the life of a maverick and mm -hmm. fiercely independent. But it was a really a powerful story of steadfast resilience and fortitude in the face of danger during all this that was happening in the 2013-2014 revolution of dignity on the Maidan, which is Independence Square in Kiev. And then the women are the ones that organized and held fast and supported, and the men were all together, and, and she just was able to tell how she got to do this you know she just went her mother was living in Livio that's where she's from she lives in Bethesda Maryland with her husband and two children but as soon as she heard what was happening attacks on a peaceful protest by students and there were vicious attacks 
by the SWAT-like team of police. They were a police force called Berkut. The order to shoot the civilians, and there were over 100 people killed by snipers and, and other means by these Berkut police, this was ordered by the president right. at the time, Yanukovych, who ultimately fled Ukraine with this money, which was in the... Billions. Right? 70 billion, you said something yes. like that? He emptied the Ukraine's coffers. He's in Moscow now. He's, you know, he's, he's hanging totally, out with Putin. Oh, of course. You know, you know that's... You know, planning out he, there he, secret that, war in Ukraine. Well, that was the reason for the Maidan protest to begin mm. with, was finally that the the premise was that Yanukovych promised to join Ukraine would join the European Union in in business and political politics and association rather than the Putin inspired uh, Commonwealth within the, the Russian sphere. Anyway, that was the reason for the protests because Yanukovych reneged on the on the promise of Ukraine joining the Europe. What she was able to find in in many of her characters, I mean, that's what it, these were all character stories. And what she was saying at the panel, she was trying to get as many uh, women to talk about their experiences as possible. Uh, many times in documentary filmmaking, which they explained is that you would find one character follow that character going through uh, the situation. And what she wanted to show is as many people as possible, men and women, she mm -hmm. showed, young and old, uh, different uh, creeds, different um, cultures, uh, Donbass, a big, uh, we saw that in the film, uh, that the whole banner saying that we support Ukraine, you know. So uh, her story was really very powerful. Mm -hmm. And fortunately, because she had the panel on a Sunday, her film was still screening again Sunday evening. And we did get to see her after, during the screening, but we were on our way home. And she said it was a full audience for Bearsville Theater, okay. which we showed up in right. this uh, that afternoon because the Maverick Award for Best Feature Narrative, Shepherds and Butchers. Directed by Oliver Schmitz. know this, you know, because the awards were Saturday night. Uh, we were in Rosendale Saturday, and then we didn't go out to the awards night. But we got to see this film Sunday afternoon. We knew a little bit. I knew a little bit. Well, it was from South Africa. So right away, what conjures up ideas from South Africa film? Apartheid, you know, just race relations, culture, what people are doing. It's based on a true story about the death penalty. This is a story based upon a, uh, events in 1987, during the time still apartheid was, was still in, in force there. What happened was at 17, he sent to Maximum Prison as a guard 
in the death row section. His responsibilities were to take care of the inmates assigned to him, feed, feeding them, clothing, you know, making sure that everything was okay till the day of execution. Each prisoner had a guard assigned to them, assigned to them as, and they would hang seven prisoners at a time. Well, that was a year. What they were saying is had the, the most executions going on, uh, 164. So that's where sometimes there were seven at a time, you know, every week. And he was present at every single one of them. So when he snapped, he had killed seven members of a, a football team, I believe it was. And the person that was assigned to him as his legal... Um, Defense lawyer, barrister. Right, who didn't want the job. He didn't right. want it because he said, how can he do this? Anyway, as he started learning more and more about it, he started questioning what was happening and what had happened at the time because he was against the death penalty. But it was a courtroom drama, pretty much. But then when you're going back into the past, into his mind, it was peeled back, the layers of it all, beautifully done, beautifully shot, and this film won the Haskell Wexler Award for Best Cinematography. Mm, that's good. It deserved it, that's for sure. Cinematographer Leah Stryker, mm -hmm. and I thought it was well-deserved. Mm -hmm. There was silence in that movie theater, but I think that was the reason why it was so full. We came in just as it was getting started. It was dark. There were a few seats left, and we sat down, and we were just mesmerized until the end. And we watched through the whole credits listing because yeah. the music was very good in mm -hmm. it. Yeah. So next, we found out, again, through the awards, that the Tangerine Entertainment Juice Award for Best Female Feature Director went to Maria Govan for Play the Devil. And we went to see that in Rosendale. Right. And again, we love Rosendale. It's a maverick kind of town, mm -hmm. you know. So we really enjoy going there and talking to the people. I wish there was more activity there for the film festival because we saw a banner on the front, but it was lower to the ground and you couldn't really see it as you were driving by. Well, people weren't able to stop and see and recognize okay. that that was part of the Woodstock Film Festival. Oh. And it was not as well attended as it should have been. That's what I'm getting to because this movie was really well done. Well, it seemed to be put in the uh, outer reaches of, of planet for screenings because it wasn't in Woodstock. It didn't get the exposure it should have had. Rosendale is a small community, very small. Luckily, Maria Govan was at the and we had a Q&A with her. Great Q&A. It was a great movie. I uh, hope she gets more exposure. She has many awards. She had other movies. I asked her three questions. I asked her what was her inspiration 
And then the second question I asked about was the um, um, carnival, that whole kind of expression, painting, you know, dance, movement, everything was very, very powerful, but it was only towards the end that that was going on. So it wasn't really a major portion of the movie. Uh, the um, cinematography was really beautiful. Mm-hmm. And the uh, the actors, which some were local, others were... Uh, the main character came from uh, the United Kingdom, uh, UK, and the uh, actress, the grandmother, was a theater actress. But what was your first impression when you started watching it? I didn't know where it was going. It had too long of an exposition, uh, but as a, first of all, the photography the, was incredible. Everything was filmed beautifully. The, my problem with it was the dialogue was unintelligible. Trinidad and Tobago. Right. And their accents, first of all, Maria Gavon explained that she was supposed to have subtitles and they didn't put them in. So therefore, I had a hard time with some of the characters talking. I didn't know what they were talking, but you can get the gist of it. The flow of the movie was beautiful. The tension was was palpable as the movie went on. Uh, and then the denouement and the, the two protagonists had their finale, finale, so to speak. But the symbolism of, of the movie was within why the, why the title, Play the Devil. Within the context of the culture of Trinidad Tobago, they're very religious people, but they use pagan symbolism and blend it together. We do this in many other countries, too. Not to be tangential here, but it was beautifully done. Carnival exists all over the Caribbean. It, ha- it happens in Louisiana. It happens in other countries, within the Caribbean countries, mm-hmm. I meant. And so she's exploring that, that theme. Um, but there was more to it than that. It was it, the colors know. were just so pronounced. Well, the blue colors, especially because blue has been the always cleansing. used for cleansing, going back to Greek times, going back to uh, many uh, cultures, and it just keeps on going because it's it is it's it's cleansing, and it's casting out the devil. Mm-hmm. And I like the colors throughout in all the sets and in the clothing and in um, the, uh, the, the homes and the interiors and the exteriors mm-hmm. and especially the waterfall. Right. Which he mentioned was very difficult to get to. Oh, I know. And she used some CGI because somebody asked about the car uh, that was going over the cliff and uh you know how that was shot oh, okay. because there's some very steep cliffs and the roads don't give you a lot of room mm-hmm. and she was talking about uh filming that way and trying to get around to these uh very uh, difficult uh, rugged areas mm-hmm. that uh, filmmakers do that i understand that point anyway that was a great movie we're very happy congratulations maria for that and we're looking forward to seeing more of her work. And then we went into exploring the American roots music, music mm-hmm. and film, and Two Trains Running. And that was at the Bearsville Theater. And that was Sunday evening. Mm-hmm. 
American epic trilogy, a part of it at the Asbury Park Music and Film Festival. So I was looking forward to seeing that, but that was like Thursday evening, Friday, and we weren't really coming around being set up just yet for this festival. So we didn't get to see it here. But I really enjoyed this two trains running. Mm -hmm. Just the whole idea of the social upheaval that was going on in the civil rights movement in 1964 in Mississippi. And then two groups of three white males were looking for blues music from the 30s. And these people in who Mississippi. were in Mississippi, that they're still alive. These whether are the or original not. blues men that recorded on uh, Oki Records or they had different other labels. They were done by field recording in the field or they were brought to a studio or a cabin or something or a house. Very little remuneration. They went back to their former lives. They, either they kept performing or they dropped out. So in the 60s, we have a juxtaposition of the civil rights movement with this two, two crews of three looking for these particular bluesmen. 30 years later, 35 years later. Sun House was one, Skip James was another, and those were the intended uh, targets to find. Because, number one, the particular styles of these gentlemen was unique. All the blues, Delta Blues cats that were playing, Robert Johnson, Blind Lebron Jefferson, Muddy Waters, you had, um, who else, Mississippi John Hurt. These People actually had a replenished career coming out of nowhere at an elderly age because of these six aficionados mm -hmm. of the blues. One was John Fahey, One from, was John Fahey. Fahey from California. Right. It was the Bay Area, was yes, it San Francisco? San Francisco? And the other were from New York. They Just got into a Volkswagen and drove out with no plan. They said either we were crazy or right. really uh, just so innocent. Going to Mississippi at this time, not knowing that it was such a powder keg, they, they would drive by cotton fields asking for directions, and uh, the black laborers would just look at them and saying, you know, they're not saying anything because they don't know what these white boys wanted right. uh, from them until they found someone, and I've, I'm I'm not sure who that person was, but someone who said he was going to help them. And they did track down right. Sun House, who was in Rochester. Right. That's right. <laughs> There's some very funny... And there was a funny point. There's a, they drove up to the house, these three guys. There's a man sitting on the porch. They ask him, they go, does Eugene House and his wife live here? Son's real name was Eugene. And he goes, yes, they're on the fourth floor. So they were about to go in, and he goes, but they're not there right now. He I'm didn't sitting say, here. No, he said, yeah, he said something. They're, they're not there. But I am here. I'm Sun House. <laughs> and that, that's when their Mecca, their trip, their, their Hajj, their trip to Mecca was all of a sudden fulfilled. 
It's amazing. It's an amazing story. But it was also when they found them that same day, they discovered the three civil rights workers that were killed, Schwerner, Goodman, and Cheney. So there was that going on at the same time. And here's music, salvation of music. And then there's the, the other end of the Jim Crow and segregation that was going on in Mississippi was incredibly volatile, like you said, a powder keg. Yeah, and, and it was two trains running, and and they just kind of crisscrossed each other back and forth. I loved how they did this. They used animation to fill in the gaps. Really great animation, I thought, because it, it transferred from the reality, and it goes into the animation, then it goes back. Uh, used a lot of archival material. Very well done. Mm -hmm. And what I loved about the whole thing afterwards, the Q&A, it was done by the composer, the Q&A. Mm -hmm. And he was talking about it because he said this Sam Pollard, who is the director, had to leave. They've been to a lot of film festivals already, so he's kind of heard many things going on, especially with well, what's happening now and as things haven't changed. But he got to talk about the music more so yeah, in this Q&A, and he really enjoyed that, and he did a wonderful job because everybody was asking him a lot of great questions yes. for that. Yeah. So I, I love that fact that uh, Woodstock you Film know Festival does You know what's funny? That. We did, when we were Asbury Park Film Festival, we did go to the House of Independence where they had American Epic, which was a trilogy, which was shown at this particular Woodstock Festival. Also, which has music from that same era. They're trying to find the musicians from that era, and they also reproduced exactly a duplicate of the machine that was recording them at the time. Oh, that's right. So those, those films, this particular Two Trains Running and the American Epic, these are incredible troves of things. That, and Sony, by the way, owned a lot of the uh, documentary or archival clips of that time in their safe, in their um, what a incubator. So their archives? Speak. Their mm -hmm. archives, mm -hmm. which the two gentlemen, no, it was a, a woman and a guy that did the, um, the American Epic. They started that project, correct? Yes, And we that saw is the correct. Q&A of yes. that. So it would be great to see the three movies, the trilogy, and Long Train Running again in conjunction. And then the full moon came. It was a hunter moon last night. Uh-huh. Okay. And then after Bearsville, we stopped into, we went into one of those places where they had the fire pit and they had a blues singer. So after two chains running, uh, we did get some live music, which is always something that we love to support. We covered a lot of stuff in a very short period of time. I, I had a great time. Oh, being there, yeah. Yeah, and the we full moon we, came out last night. <laughs> we went Friday. We just drove up Friday, saw the one film. We hung around for whatever. We got our tickets. We yeah, got our we plans. Settled, yeah. We got the maps and everything. We sort of settled on how things worked in the, in the festival right. and made the decision to go to uh, Rosendale for Saturday. Mm -hmm. uh, and we, we went did, home. Well, we, we did because we went to Rhinebeck for for the Women of Maidan's mm -hmm. world premiere and made the decision to go back because we didn't have a 
really a place to stay right. at the time. And then we found a place to stay, so that was wonderful. On Saturday night, we had a place to stay, but it was an incredible weekend. We lucked out. A friend of ours helped us find a room at the Hudson Resorts, Hudson Valley Resorts. Hudson Valley Resort and Spa. Right. A friend of ours who runs the place. It was just such a great set. We drove up. Fall foliage was incredible. The autumn at its peak. It's a beautiful dry, weekend. Cl cloudless sky. We get there, we get, we check in, and we immediately split for wherever we needed to well, go. Well, we, well, yes, it was very, very doable, mm -hmm. and you know, so many people were out there for a lot of different things, and as. Uh, was written in the catalog. There were art galleries, art openings. There was uh, music going on. There, there was a lot of um, flea market. Oh. The flea market, the big okay. flea market, was around. The farmers markets were around. Mm -hmm. It was a a wonderful time of year to experience all of this. So, I'm looking forward to next year. Okay. Until next time, you get some music. Hey, mama, don't you treat me wrong. Come and love you, daddy, all night long, all night long. Hey, hey, all right. See the girl with the diamond ring. She knows how to shake that thing all right now. I'm gonna send you back to Arkansas. Oh, yes, ma'am. You don't do